This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It is always a joy to see your face in the place, and it is uh, a great privilege to stand before you and to uh, preach the Word of God. I hope that everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, amen that you ate too much. And uh, this morning, it actually feels like Christmas. Um, I am one of those people, my wife is not where I believe that Christmas decorations should come up after Thanksgiving. And amen. And the Lord saw fit to introduce snow after Thanksgiving. That's, that's, that's why he did it, right? And so um, I hope that you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, today we conclude our uh, culturally incorrect sermon series. If you've been following along with us, you know that this series is based out of uh, a state of theology survey uh, of self-identified evangelical Christians, and the results are, are staggering. As we have gone through, uh, we have selected statements. There, there are a lot more statements. We've gone through these statements, and, and, and there's this disconnect from what professing evangelical Christians believe and what the Word of God says. And so week one, we've explored the statement that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Where did you get that from? Right? You don't find that in the book. Week two, we looked at God, that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Surveys, uh, the, the survey showed that 42% of professing evangelical Christians agree with that statement. Last week, we explored the statement that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. And the survey served that 53% of evangelical Christians disagree with that statement. Uh, today, we're going to spend a few moments looking at the statement that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about an objective truth. And so the State of Theology survey shows that 31% of professing evangelical Christians agree with this statement. And uh, 29% somewhat agree with this statement. So, so 60% of evangelical Christians lean towards agreeing with this statement. Uh, I was talking to Pastor Brian. I had this like tension that I felt as we uh, went through this sermon series. And it was almost like these statements. I'm like, is this a thing here? Like, like surely here at Resurrection Church, most people don't believe these statements. But the reality is if survey says these percentage, and I don't think it's as high as it is, uh, here, the reality is that there are some folks here who struggle with these same beliefs. And I'm glad you're here. Uh, this is a place where you can wrestle, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, but we have some work to do because the Bible will strongly disagree with these statements. So again, we're going to tackle the statement today that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and you should, where's your Bible? 
I'm just kidding, let me stop. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn, turn your Bibles to page 1000. I'm just kidding. Uh, wrote, uh, John chapter 8, uh, verses 38, 31 through 47. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 47. If you are willing and able, I'm going to ask that you will stand for the reading of God's word. When you got it, say, I got it. I got it. If you need a minute, say, hold up. All right. The rest of you guys are going to look at, at the screen. Verse, one, 30, verse uh, 31 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Verse 32 says, and you shall know the truth. truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we, we are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Can I get a big amen after that? That's good news. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Wait, tell me what's he talking about? I've, I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father, he's going to give us some uh, clarification of who their daddy is in, in a second here. They said, they, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Je they, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. He keeps talking about their daddy. Who's their daddy? <laughs> they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if, you were, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I, what I say? It is because you cannot uh, bear to hear my word. You are of your father. Who's their daddy? The devil. <laughs> this is, wow. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies, but because I tell you the truth, you, not, you do not believe me. Which, of, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's pray. Father, we're talking about truth here and 
I, uh, I stand here, Lord, just keenly aware of my inability to effectively communicate this text, this truth. Um, Holy Spirit, help. I pray, God, that I surrender this time to you, and I pray that our hearts will be open. Um, God, you, you say that who the Son sets free, it's free indeed, God. That, that we should know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Father, if there's anybody in this place today, anybody watching online that has not embraced the truth, you being the truth, Lord, I pray that their hearts will be open. And for those of us who, who will raise our hand like that, I, I know the truth and I've experienced freedom. Help us to see it more clearly today. Help us to walk out of here with a great passion and love for the truth of the gospel to the point where it motivates us to proclaim it in love, Lord. Would you be with us today? Will you bless our time today in Jesus' name? And everybody says, amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, our culture uh, has these different approaches when it comes to religion. Uh, there, there, are, there, are, there are two hopes that I believe that our culture wants to happen uh, in their connection with religion. First, they try to box religion in in hopes that it will either weaken or it will eventually die out. Uh, that, that's one way that our culture deals with culture. The second is they try to confine religion to this private realm where, listen, you go ahead and you have your religion, but, but what you need to do is you need to keep it private. Uh, both of these uh, approaches to religion, uh, these strategies to religion, they will not succeed. I can understand why culture would try to get people to believe this statement, uh, but it is alarming that 31% of evangelical Christians believe that religion belief is a matter of personal opinion and not objective truth. And, and, and like I said before, maybe that exists in the room today. Uh, welcome to the wrestle. And I pray that God will use this sermon to somehow open your eyes. Many American evangelical uh, Christians are increasingly believing that religious faith is subge a subjective experience rather than a objective reality. This statement sounds like uh, this parable of, uh, it's called a, a blind man and an elephant. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, the parable goes like this. There was a group of six blind men who for the first time they came across an elephant. And each of the blind men fills a different part of the elephant's body. They all imagined what the elephant was like by touching it because they were blind. Then, uh, they then uh, described the elephant based on their limited experiences and their description of the element uh, because each of it was different. So there are these six men. The, the first man happened to put his hand on the side of the elephant and likened it to a, the creature to a wall. The, the second man felt only the, the elephant's tusk, and to him, he was nothing at all like a wall. 
What do you mean he's like a wall? There, there's no way he's like a wall. He, he felt only the elephant's tusks, and to him, it was more like a spear. The third man happened to take a hold of the elephant's trunk and was instantly afraid because he thought it was a type of snake. The fourth man reached out his arms and grabbed the elephant's leg, and it was very plain to him that the elephant is round and like a pillar. The fifth man managed to fill one of the elephant's ears and claimed that the beast is not like his counterpart's descriptions, for he is exactly uh, like a huge fan. And the sixth and final man grabbed the hold of the uh, animal's tail and said, surely this, ele- ele- this creature is like a rope. You can imagine where this is going. The, they're all uh, correct while also being incorrect at the same time. So maybe this idea that what's true uh, for you may simply, uh, what's true for you may simply be what's true for you, but not for me. Maybe that resonates with you. The moral of this parable is that there can be this tendency to claim absolute truth based on their limited subjective experiences as they ignore uh, other people's limited subjective experiences, which may be equally true. This tendency to claim absolute truth based on their uh, relatively limited subjective experiences and ignore or dismiss the limited or subjective experiences of others that you are not always right, but neither are you always wrong. And if you think about it, it's, it's actually a compelling argument. How can you possibly claim that your religion is the one true religion? Isn't it just a matter of opinion? Maybe that statement resonates with you. There's this guy named uh, Leslie Newbegin, who was this uh, British uh, missionary to India, and he had this revelation of this parable, and it testifies to, to uh, it's, it's hard to see it initially, but it testifies to the arrogance of saying that our religions are simply a matter of opinion. This is what he says. He says, the only way you can know that none of the blind men who had a grip on the entire reality of the elephants was if you can see the whole elephant. So the only way you can possibly know that every religion sees a part of the truth is if you assume that you see all of the truth. And if you do that, you have the very thing that you claim nobody has. This parable actually points to the necessity of an absolute being. Tim Keller says that that it is uh, arrogant intellectually to say that all religions are equal. He says this, he says, this is an appearance, this is an appearance of humility in the protestation that the truth is much greater than any one of us can grasp. But if maybe in fact an arrogant claim to have the kind of knowledge which is superior to all others, so we must ask the person, what is this absolute vantage point from which you claim to relativize all the claims these different scriptures and religions make? When you say no one has a superior take on spiritual reality, that is a take on spiritual reality which you believe is superior to everybody else. And when you say that no one should take or convert everybody else to your uh, views of religious reality, this is a religious reality 
that you want the listeners to convert to. To say that all religion is a matter of opinion is pretty bold and is way more arrogant than you initially think. Family, truth exists. The entire universe operates on fixed truth, objective truth. Objective truth exists. We've talked about this in uh, uh, last semester, I think it was, we did a, a, uh, a course on apologetics 101 at Resurrection University. Uh, it was actually, for me, like my favorite uh, class that we've done. And that, that, uh, those classes are on our website. If you have not, dive into it. Just a great uh, couple of weeks on apologetics. Objective truth are truths that are, no, uh, that are true no matter what we prefer or believe is based on the object itself. This is why I love the Bible. Like even, it, it takes faith to believe the truth, but even from a logical standpoint, the, the Bible, the God of the Bible gives us the most plausible and most satisfying answers to the questions of life. It reveals truth. It is the truth. And so let's jump into our passage today. John 8 uh, Chapter thir- John chapter uh, 8, verse 30 says this. It says, as he was saying these things, Jesus, many believed in him. Praise God. Praise God. But the question is, is this real? H- how do we know that this belief is fickle or fake? So Jesus is going to give the crowd his, his own uh, state of theology survey, and we'll see that in his dialogue, he goes from verse 30 to verses 45 through, uh, 44 through 45. So in verse 30, he says this, and, and, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then let's jump to verses 44 through 45. Many believe, he says what he says, and he says this, you are of your father the devil. <laughs> That's so crazy. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and, and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his own character for he's a liar and the father of the lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. What, what, what happened? Like, to, to, the, to the Jews, the, the, the Pharisees, this is an absolutely offensive statement. They go from verse 30 believing to he does this state of theology thing, and then they go, he goes to like, your father is the devil. What happened? What happened in, in between these verses? What happened in between these verses is, is simple, and he says it. It's truth. He, he tells, they go from believing this picture of Jesus, he says something and lays out the truth, and it reveals that they don't believe that truth, and they see that you are blinded and you are of your father, the devil. He says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. They, they cannot handle the truth. Verse 46 says, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not 
believe me. He presents the truth, and what happens, they refuse to believe him. Let's see this interaction unfold. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are, what's that word? Truly my disciples. It implies, it implies that there are those who profess to be a disciple, but they are not. And this is why the, the, the results of the State of Theology survey is so staggering. There is this kind of believing that's not really believing. One of the scariest verses in all of Scripture is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, those are, those are, those are professing people who profess to believe will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So he goes on to say, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you there's this beautiful connection between a true disciple and the truth. A true disciple knows the truth. The truth sits out of us. It's this objective standard and it's uh, absolute in its origin. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is such a profound statement. This is such a profound statement. Here, here's what he's saying in this statement. He's saying there is truth. This truth impacts all mankind. It is absolute truth. It is objective. This truth is knowable, and there's freedom in this truth. There is truth. This truth impacts all mankind. No one escapes this truth. This truth is knowable, and there is freedom in this truth. Truth, this isn't just some opinion that impacts some people. This is absolute truth. It's the absolute standard by which reality can be measured. Truth that is outside of you that impacts all mankind. It's knowable and there's, there is great freedom in this truth. You shall know the truth. Listen, family, this is a part of our DNA here. We, we want from the existence of resurrection till now till as long as resurrection exists. We are passionate about people coming to, to know the truth. We want you to know the truth because the truth sets you free. Jesus makes this profound statement that you shall know the truth. And one of the natural uh, effects of the truth is it sets you free. And now let's look at their response. They answered him, we, we are offsprings of, of Abraham. I've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They're clueless. 
like Jesus has given them this awesome invitation, this great revelation of the truth that sets you free. And they look at him and they're like, listen, I've, I've, we're free already. We're good. We're, we, we, don't need, we don't need your freedom. And this is going to be the essence of their response to Jesus. He's going to reveal truth to them, and they're going to repeatedly respond to these truths with their objections as to say, listen, we're good. We're good. We live in a culture that the truth is presented, and this is the response. They look at Jesus, and they're like, we're good. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to men, but its end is the way to death. Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He, he goes right to the core of the issue here, the, the sin issue. And this is the objective truth. He's telling the truth here. The truth exposes and addresses sin. And here's the thing about sin. Sin is not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact, and it impacts all of us. This is true of all mankind. It's the heart of the matter. Something is wrong at the root of us. And I think if we're honest, we all know that. It's the truth. You look in the mirror, you look at the brokenness in your life, you look at the brokenness in the world. There's this understanding in your life and in the world around us that things are not supposed to be this way. And I think all of human mankind has this hope for something better. There's this sin issue. And he goes on to say that the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And he says this, so if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. You see this connection between uh, verse 32 and verse 36. He, he says in verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now he says this in verse 36 that so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What, what is he saying here? First, it was the truth that set you free. Now it's the son that sets you free. Here he's saying that he is the truth. John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am not your truth. I am not a truth. He positioned himself that says, I am what? The truth. Christ is not a matter of opinion. He presents himself as the truth. What do you do with this Jesus? What, what, what do you do with this Jesus? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. Verse 15, verse, chapter 15, verse 14. And if, the, if Christ has not been raised, preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He says this in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, uh, futile 
and you are still in your sins. What do you do with this, Jesus? Paul is, I love the way that Paul lays this out in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because what he does is he actually gives you what we call the historicity of Jesus that says, here's the proof. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is pointless. But Christ has been raised from the dead. Look at what he says. He says, now I, I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach, which you have received and which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I have received, that Christ, he did die for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And this, so now here's history that he appeared to Cephas, he's a real person, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. <coughs> Excuse me, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Like this is the, the historicity of scripture. He came, he rose, it is true. You have to do something with this Jesus. He is the truth, he is the life, he is freedom. Christ conquering sin equals truth over lies, life over death, and freedom over bondage. He is the object of our faith. You can't be the standard of truth. Your faith is only as significant as its object, and Christ is the object of our faith. So this is the truth. What do we do with it? What, what do they do with it? They don't believe. He, he, he positions himself, and he says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You should know the truth and this shall make you free. They look at it and what do they do? They say, no, thank you. Understand this about truth. The issue of truth is an issue of the heart before it's an issue of the head. John Piper says, the Bible will give us this perspective as why people look at truth and they say, no, thank you. Well, why are people so hostile towards the truth, this is uh, pervasive in our culture today. Falsehood, and, and as I say this, many of you pervasive in our culture today. This is what Romans chapter one says. It says, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness of men who by their, what? Their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Second Thessalonians chapter two says this, in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth. They did not believe the truth. Why? Because they had pleasures in unrighteousness. There's this connection between uh, I, 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 unrighteousness, sin. I wanna go this way. And as you do unrighteousness, you naturally suppress the truth. 
It's our love affair with the wrong that causes us to suppress the truth about what is right. That's why people suppress and reject the truth because of unrighteousness. I need some help up here with uh, Jake. You come and help me close. This is pervasive in our culture. Like we, we live in a, a post-true culture. F -f Falsehood is way more desirable than truth today in our culture. It is, it is growing in our land. It is everywhere. Like, people don't want the truth. And as I was preparing for this message over this past week, um, and just kind of thinking about, like, we are, we aren't, like, it, it is not popular to wear your cross. Like, it's not popular to stand for truth. And maybe you feel this. And I begin to like consider that what's my response to the falsehood that's so pervasive in our culture today? Like when I see it, do you see it? Like I see it. When you see it, what does it do to you? When I see it, why does it bother me so much? I'm beginning to like just kind of take a step back and consider, like, why? My family, we were somewhere a couple of days ago, and I, I, I saw two men holding this little baby toddler. And I'm like, that's, and, and it did something to me. That's, that's like false. That's not true. That's not God's way. And I, I, I took a step back and I began to ask myself, James, why does this bother you so much? And we began to kind of just wrestle and sit in that. Like, like is, is it like pride induced or is it righteous anger? Like, like when I find myself in places where falsehood is rising up and I see people disinterested in Christ, I feel a certain way. I begin to take a step and ask, why do I feel this way? And then I begin to feel convicted that is, is when I see the disinterest in Jesus, is it followed by my lack of motivation to share the truth of the gospel? What is it in me that looks at falsehood and it's almost like we're more upset about the act disconnected with the person. We often condemn the action but neglect to pray for the soul. What is my response when I see falsehood and why is it that way? This isn't about politics. This isn't about pride of knowing that you're right. I begin to have this moment when I'm like, this is about freedom. Freedom.
This is about life. When, when I see these two men walking and, 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 and sin holding an uh, innocent baby, and I'm like, no, that's wrong. Yes, it's, it's against God's way, but it comes back and I'm like, but your soul, you're missing it. You're missing an opportunity for life. You're missing an opportunity for freedom. Who the sun sets free, it is free indeed. There is this freeing nature of the truth of the gospel. There is no freedom apart from the truth. There is no life apart from Jesus. He's life. Everything else is a lie that leads to death. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And so, so why do we as believers look at falsehood and get angry? It should be because souls are missing the opportunity to have freedom and life. And what that should do inside of us should bring us to our knees and should motive us, motivate us every opportunity that we have to tell of the good news of Jesus. Amen. What it should do inside of us is motivate us to begin to pray for lost souls. If you have the cure to cancer, you wouldn't keep it to yourself. There's this conviction that there are this crowd that's so unmotivated about the gospel, but the question that we have, why are we so unmotivated to tell about the good news of Jesus? May the falsehood that we see in the world around us produce the right response to say, God, here I am. This lost and dying world who loves falsehood, would you use my life as a vessel to open up their eyes so they can experience life and freedom, experience the God who came to set the captives free, and he is overall. May that be, I, I just, because the reality is like, Many of us know this. Like, what am I doing about it? The, the, my, my, the people that I know and love who, I look at their life and it's like, that's false. What am I doing about it? May this falsehood that we see, may we respond in a way that motivates us so that people can see and experience the freedom in Christ. The Son sets you free. You're free indeed. Father, uh, as recipients of the truth, we can so oftentimes wag our fingers at falsehood disconnected from your heart for them to be truly free. 
God, help us today to look at the brokenness in our world, to, to look at, this is, this is a very disturbing thing that many people, they're like, well, it's just one of many truths. God, we live in a culture of, like, people don't want the truth. And if some are honest in this room, it's, it's done a number on them. God, it's, it's, called, it's caused them to shrink back. It's called them, it's caused them to want to hide. But God, as recipients of your truth, I pray that you would teach us to have a more effective response to the falsehood that we see in our world today. In our workplaces, in our relationships with our family. God, help us to be those people who speak the truth in love, that we will be full of grace and truth, and that our lives will point others to you. It's about freedom, it's about life. Help us, Father, Lord, as those who know the truth, point others to you. We love you, God. We thank you that you are the God overall. We put our trust in you. You are truth. And I pray that in this moment as we worship you, we will worship you freely, understanding that you are true. And God, that we thank you for setting us free. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen.